Welcome in, everyone, to episode 7 of Up and Down, a disc golf analytics podcast. I'm Jesse, joined, as usual, by Joey. Hello. We're the nerds who run this thing, and on this episode, we'll be breaking down the 2022 season standings thus far, looking at our stats leaders as well as our tour standings. But first, Joey, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing great. I've had a busy couple weeks. Um, I was on vacation a couple weeks ago. I was up in Maine uh, for a whole week in Acadia National Park. Played some courses up there. I I got out to Sabatis. That wasn't the first time I've been there, but that's a really, really nice course. Great pro shop there. Um, A lot of nice people there. So I get to play a layout there that I've never played before. Um, That was their, they call it their eagle layout, but that's their maybe like blues layout. Um, And that was a lot of fun. A, A lot more challenging than their other layouts. Nice. Yeah. They're interestingly, most of the courses that I've played up in that, that mid main area are they're all very generous with their pars so yes i remember you saying that yeah if i remember right i think i think this layout was a par 72 or 74 um and if it were me and or you know compared to the average for a course of that length i'd probably put it at like 60 or 62 yeah Um, so you know i i came in blind on this tough layout that i've never played before and i shot 11 down bogey free and there I you go i didn't feel like i deserved that um, yeah for sure but it makes it fun um and you know it's fun to say i had two eagles even though they were on like 600 foot par fives um, yeah i've certainly noticed uh i've played with quite a few newer people and introduced quite a few people to the game and like when i play with my fiance for example She's always like, what's the par on this hole? And in Arizona, pretty much everything's a par three. Sure. And so I tell her it's a par three, and she's like, I could never get this in three, you know? So when you make the pars a little more beginner-friendly, it it does feel nice when you're the beginner in those shoes. Yeah, of course. You know, it's it's not that fun to walk up to a 600-foot hole and be like, well, I guess I'm getting a quadruple bogey, but... um... Right, so I, exactly. I, I understand why they, why they do that. And and I think anybody that takes it a bit more seriously probably just knows that that, you know, that that par is not set in equivalent with other courses, so you just go into it with that mindset and have fun. But that was fun. Yeah, for sure. That was a lot of fun. Um it's a little bit rainy this week, but hoping to get out this weekend. Actually, I I don't think we we've talked about it since this happened, but I I won a tournament in MA2 at Maple Hill. Um, Heck yeah. So that was on their blues layout. That was so much fun. Um, I I couldn't believe it. I played really safe and smart, which I I don't know that I always do that, but I (laughs) I was so proud of myself. I was, I mean, I had a couple putts back towards the water, which of course you do because it's Maple Hill. And, you know, I just didn't feel like it was worth it. And I, I laid them up and I took my par and I only checked scores after I had thrown my drive on hole 18 to see if it was worth running the Island green. And at that point I sat one stroke ahead and the other guy had already finished. So I knew I didn't have to go for it. So I laid up to the OB and I pitched over and I took my par, um, and, and one by one stroke. So very proud of that. 
Nice, man. Yeah, glad uh, glad you were able to take it home in MA2 because I knew you could do it. So. Yeah, I, I knew I could too. So feeling good about that. It's it's time to move up now to the next division. I felt like MA1 is probably about where I belong, but I had to prove it to myself first. So, And your rating just went over 900, right? It did for the first time. Yep. Oh, yeah. So huge. That felt good. It was. It's actually the first month that I passed one year since my first PDJ tournament. So the, my first tournament just dropped off. Um, so that that first tournament low rating, you know, was able to drop off the rating. And then obviously the win at Maple Hill helped quite a bit. Um, so that felt really good. Awesome. Yeah. What about you? Well, similar to you, hanging out at national parks uh i went to one myself the week after you did so i was at zion in southern utah yep and man beautiful i did a lot of driving that week though so i was very tired i was not thinking about disc golf which was kind of okay because there wasn't a whole lot going on we had the match play going on we'll talk a little bit about that um but it was nice just to take a week off of work take a week off of thinking about all the things i'm normally thinking about disc golf all that stuff and just be in the great outdoors. I don't yeah. get to do that a whole lot. So, yeah, Zion's beautiful. I'd I'd love to get out there someday. It was awesome. I know. I told you that I did Angels Landing, which is right. a very notorious or well known hike. And uh, I think notorious I, is an appropriate word. Yeah, it's it's pretty sketchy. Um, I I think I would be the only person who would ever advise someone that it's like not really worth it to do it okay my rationale was once i got halfway up i you have basically two views you have a view on your right and a view on your left let's say and when you finish angel's landing i wouldn't really say that the views get any better it's just that they now form a panorama if you will and you kind of get the whole thing in one but i don't know that wasn't really for justification house, for me to for how sketchy have finished it, was, it. Yeah. yeah so certainly if you're into that kind of thing go do it there's nothing really like it but yeah for me it was just okay i'm, I'm glad i did it but right right i don't know that i would do it again per se. right but zion yeah. as a whole phenomenal never yeah. been anywhere like it i can't imagine there's really anywhere else like it no that's why it's a national so, park great week yeah. awesome glad to hear it yeah and it you know what it does feel great to be back on the mic because we took two weeks off so this is our first time filming in three weeks yep and it it honestly feels like it's been longer than that i don't know how you feel about that i i feel the same it feels like my brain was turned off to disc golf for better or worse um we it was a long two weeks i mean i've driven probably 24 hours total for travel in that amount of time going back and forth to Maine more than once um and it's been kind of nice but I'm excited to get back into it to get back into a good rhythm so happy to start getting some more episodes out for everybody to listen to um our our Instagram has definitely been growing and that's felt really good so excited to get some more content out on that yeah, that's another reason why it feels so good to get back on the mic, too, is we've had a lot of people 
find out about us and yeah. we haven't put out an episode since a lot of those people have found out about us so yeah uh, I will say I don't know that this will be our premiere episode in the sense that there there hasn't been a lot going on in the world of stats of late in disc golf and we'll we'll talk about that but yeah let's uh let's just dive right in and sure. stop the dilly dallying and and uh, get right into it here so we will start off as we always do with sixty second stories all the biggest headlines from the weekend at sixty seconds apiece. And this week, the big happening was the match play tournament, which didn't even have stats. So, Joey, we have never done this segment in 60 seconds or less. This is the time. But I think for an event that didn't even have stats, there's a chance. Yes. I'm saying there's a chance. So, Owen Scoggins and Joel Freeman are your winners from this weekend's match play. Owen taking it down in the final round over Ella Hansen in nine holes. If it goes to completion, they play 12. So she won by a score of what they call four and three, which means she was up by four points with three holes to play. Joel Freeman on the men's side taking it down in the finals over Kevin Jones in 11 holes, meaning he was up two points with one hole to go. So we've got a couple first-time winners at this event. Yeah, really awesome for both of them. I feel like they're I'm not I feel like objectively they're both names that we consistently see in the top 10 in their respective divisions so although it's not an elite series event it's it's definitely a very highly competitive event definitely a a really cool one you know the format's a little different but the fields were great in in on both sides so really happy for both of them to be able to add that to their resume the fields were very strong, and I think that's a quite an important thing to note. And in addition, both of the runner-ups, uh, runners-up maybe, I don't know, Ella Hansen and Kevin Jones, they're people that we haven't really seen on the podium all that often either. Right. Ella Hansen probably more so than Kevin Jones. Yeah, so none of those really that whole finals have had an Elite Series win this year. Right, absolutely, so... Very exciting to see these four athletes get their time in the sun in the final round of this weekend's match play. Yeah, very cool. And most importantly, less than 60 seconds. Yeah, we'll have to go check the clocks, but <laughs> it's definitely the shortest one yet. So normally, this is where we go into what it takes, where we break down what our winners had to do to take it down this weekend. However, for the match play event, they did not record any hole-to-hole conventional stats. So unless you watched it and paid close attention, you're not going to know what it took to take down the match play. And I'm one of those people. I was on vacation. I didn't watch a single second of it. I saw the, you know, whatever videos, clips pop up on Instagram or whatever, but I certainly did not watch the whole thing. So, uh, yeah, that's our what it takes <laughs> for this week, man. Um it takes being Joel Freeman and Owen Scoggins, apparently, to win the yeah. match play up at, what, 8,000 feet, I think they were at? Something like that. I'm I'm thinking maybe Owen hit a lot of putts. I'm thinking she probably did. Yeah. yeah. At least give us that stat. That doesn't seem so hard, right? You know? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But anyway, what it takes, who knows? Crunch time. So, like we said, we don't have stats for this event. 
But we do have season stats, and we haven't really done this yet for the 2022 season. Looking at the year of statistics so far, looking at the leaderboard, and seeing where people stand. And this is a good time to check in, because not only because we haven't done it at all this year yet, but we've had a lot of events this year. So I think there's enough data that, for the most part, when we look at our top 10s, for example, in any of these stats, there's enough data here to back them up. So we will take a look at the stats, talk about who's leading in these stat categories so far this year, and then we'll jump into the point standings and see if the Tour Championship started tomorrow, who would be playing and who's on the outside looking in. So, Joey, let's just jump right into the stats. So... Like always, we are using UDisk Live as the source for all of our stats. Thanks to UDisk Live for making these stats accessible, as always. And let's start it off looking at our top 10 in the MPO for fairway percentage. I would say, you know, one of the one of our more preferred stats here on Up and Down. Yeah, sure. And, and yeah, go ahead. The names the names are interesting here. The names are interesting. So I'll read them off really quick for you in order of 1st to 10th. For the FPO, maybe we'll do top 5 or so. But 1 through 10, here they are in the MPO for fairway percentage. Number 1, Jonathan Fletcher, 81%. Chris Dickerson, 80%. Lawrence Schauerhofer, probably pronouncing that one wrong, 78%. Robin Villman and Ezra Robinson tied at 4th at 77%. Calvin Heimberg, Jake Hebenheimer, oh boy, Axel Lofsted-Nielsen at 76%, along with Oyvind Yarns, I'm going to guess. And then we have Cole Radalin among quite a few players at 75%. He is joined by Nico LaCastro, Henrik Hagman, Garrett Gerthy. Yeah, that's where the list ends there. So the whole spread here is 81% to 75%, but I think the bigger elephant in the room here is there are probably a lot of names that the folks at home are not recognizing here. Yeah. Including our lead guy, Jonathan Fletcher. That's not really a name that I personally recognize. Nope. So with these UDISC stats, anyone qualifies for this list so long as they have played 108 holes in dgpt events so for the quick math or for the folks who don't want to do the quick math at home let's say 108 holes is equivalent to two three round tournaments that's the easiest way to think about it so it's six total rounds of 18 holes and in particular with the top 10 in fairway percentage four of the top 10 on this list have exactly 108 holes played on the season and for most of these guys, those 108 holes are overseas. So that might be why a lot of these names could sound unfamiliar to you folks at home. Yeah, it's it's interesting that, I, I you know, I, I'm trying to think what it is about the Fairway Hits stat that makes it susceptible to this. And I'm looking at, you know, specifically Jonathan Fletcher. You know, he played Music City Open and Jonesboro, and, and that's it. Um, 67th and 88th respectively in those tournaments and 
you know, the, the one thing that I can imagine is, you know, he just did really well on the par threes, particularly, you know, getting in circle two um, on those par threes. You know, he has 67% circle two in regulation, which is pretty good. Um, you know, that's that's top 20 in circle two in regulation. So if he's, you know, just happened to play a couple tournaments where there's a lot of par threes that he can get in circle two, then that skyrockets his fairway hits percentage. And, um, you know, you, you compare his birdie percentage to Chris Dickerson, who's, you know, 1% behind him in fairway hits in second place. Chris has 45% birdie percentage and Jonathan has 32% birdie percentage. So very, very different. Um, but I think fairway hits, particularly in, in, in instances where there's not as many holes played and not everybody has played the same holes, um, that stat might be more susceptible than others to being influenced by those factors. Yeah, for sure. So on that list, Jonathan Fletcher, Lawrence Schauerhofer, Robin Villman, and Axel Lofsted-Nielsen are the four players who have played exactly the minimum number of holes to qualify. Yep. And three of those guys are in the top four, Jonathan Fletcher, Lauren Schauhofer, and Robin Villman. So just looking at the names that I think most people are going to be familiar with, we have Chris Dickerson here at 80% and Ezra Robinson being the next most recognizable name here, I would say at 77%. And that delta of 3% might not seem like a lot, but there are a lot of players who are all within 3% of each other in what I'll call the the next 3%. So you have 80% to 77% is what separates Chris from uh, the next guy who's played more than 108 holes, Ezra Robinson. And then between 77 and 74 you have, what, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 18 players yeah. who are all in that range. Shows that Ezra and Chris, particularly Chris, are, are separated by quite a bit there from other players that have played that many holes. Yeah, and I know Jonathan Fletcher does qualify to be on this list. I think if I was going to make these stats, I would have the threshold slightly higher, though it is fair to recognize that that would be a little bit unfair to people who only play the European tours. Sure. Because we've only had a few really large European events, and I, you know, I think it's only been like three or so notable yeah. events. So only looking at players who have played all three of those events, for example, would be reducing a significant you'd be removing a significant portion of the European field from these stats. And so I get why the threshold is where it is. But in my head, Chris Dickerson is the king of fairways in 2022 so far. And no offense to Jonathan Fletcher, but... No, that's that's awesome that he's at the top of the list, yeah. Other notable names in that top echelon, Calvin Heimberg at 76%, Jake Hebenheimer also at 76%, and Cole Radalin, Nicola Castro very high up there as well yeah so similarly in parked percentage i i think the conversation is similar here where this is a stat that you know particularly when not as many holes have been played it it can be you know a little 
less exact. You know, it doesn't necessarily represent what your parked percentage would be if you played 10 tournaments. Um, but there's definitely some recognizable names up here. I, I think it's a little bit more recognizable than, than Fairway Hits for sure. Yeah, why don't you read them off here for us, Joey? Yeah, I've got in first place Jasper Haino, Haino at 17%. Ricky Wysocki, 16. Simon Lazat, 15. Ty Love, 14. Seppo Paiu, Chris Dickerson, and Topias Jokinen, and Patrick Brown, and Justin Rosak, all at 13%. So pretty pretty flooded in that range there. Um and then Matthias Kanainen and Albert Tom, Calvin Heimberg, Drew Gibson, Jake Hebenheimer, Silas Schultz, Greg Barsby, Garrett Gerthy. The list goes on. I'm not going to read them all of all the players at 12%. So going off of that same sort of 3% separation, you're looking at Ty Love, Simon Lazat, Ricky Wysocki, and Jasper Heino separating themselves from the pack, particularly if you look at Ricky and Simon, they've played quite a few more holes than Jasper and quite a few more holes than Ty. Both of those guys have played four events this year, um, mainly in Europe for Jasper. Um, and Ty has played four American events. Yeah, the list, I'm really focusing in on Ricky Wysocki and Simon Lazat. Yeah, for sure. Those two guys at 16 and 15%. I mean, those, then, that's huge. Think about that. It is huge. 16 is like one in six. Yeah, you're talking about one that's in like six That's like three park jobs around. You're tapping it in. Yeah. Yeah, three times around. Crazy. Yeah. So Ricky is the only 16. Simon's the only 15. Ty Love, the only 14. And then from 13 to 11, there's probably 30 guys yeah. in that range. Maybe even more than that. Yeah. Yeah. And then Simon and Ricky really being quite a cut above the rest. Yeah. So this is one of the cool things about looking at the season stats is that whenever we talk about parked percentage just for any given tournament, we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. Yeah, there's just not enough holes, you know. That's right. But over this kind of sample size, we can really start to get an idea of uh, who, who are the best guys at getting under the basket. And to be honest... Simon being very high on this list does not surprise me. No, for a it shouldn't second. surprise anybody. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because some events he might only have, I don't know, one park job per round for three right. rounds. Uh, and you don't really get to see on a week to week basis that these guys are the best. But over the course of the season, it adds up. The cream rises to the top. Yeah. And in a three round tournament, you know, you've got 54 holes, one hole is almost 2% of a park percentage in, in that tournament. Um, you know, right. So it only takes, you know, four or five park jobs on average, a tournament to be up in this range, you know, above 10%. And for Simon and Rick to be up 15, 16, I mean, that's, that's a lot. Like you said, we're talking about three or so around. Yeah. That's another thing to note too. You kind of hinted at this, but in a 54 hole tournament, you really are not going to see, well, you cannot see parked percentages, greens in regulation, um, the stats that are out of a finite total of 18 holes. The resolution of those stats is always going to be in roughly 2% chunks. 
Right. So once you have the season stats, you get a lot more granularity and resolution right. in the stat totals. And so your leaderboards get a little more concrete, if you will. Right. And then, of course, there's just like the, you know, the the average, right? You sort of have this this randomness any player has, you know, and if you just play one tournament and happen to have five or six park jobs, well, good for you. But, you know, what about the guys that are coming in and doing that week in and week out? Um, you know, right. there's, there's a difference statistically there. Yeah, I mean, we talked a few weeks ago about Justin Gilbert having a single round where he parked nine holes. Right, that's, that's and, amazing. Uh, we didn't even, his name isn't even on this list. He's not in the top 30 for the whole season, you nope. know? So sometimes it just happens. But then we also talked about Simon having a round where I think he parked eight. And of course, Here he, he is. is, yeah, he's near the top. So let's jump to circle one in regulation, one of our favorite stats on the pod. Sure is. And my word, Chris Dickerson. Yeah. He is leading the pack at 48%. Yeah. Half. That's insane. That Half. It's yeah, it's 50%. To be to have a circle 1 look for birdie 48% of the time. That And when you're putting 83%, 83%. on the season. Yeah. So what that works out to is, you know, let's let's call it 50%. Half of the holes, Chris gets in circle one, and he makes 80% of those putts. So 40% of your holes, Chris Dickerson walks up, puts it in circle one, puts it in. Yeah. 40%. And yeah. obviously, he's getting in, holes. obviously he's getting in circle two and making circle two putts and, and other things like that. But Yeah, you know. so if we call the 48% circle one in regulation... 50% just for yep. the sake of nice numbers. And his circle one X putting is 83%. So that's, that's five out of six is 83.3%. Yep. So you have 50% circle one in regulation followed by a five out of six chance that he makes that putt when he yep. is in circle one for the birdie means that it, on average, Five out of 12 holes that he plays are circle one putts for birdie. Yeah. So seven and, executing and a half times birdie. around, he gets right. in circle one and then gets it in. Yeah. So that is very impressive. And then obviously with circle two putting and then considering the holes that he's parking, which is 13%, those are going to be additional birdies that are in right. his season total. Right. So his... Season total birdie percentage is forty five percent, and, that and honestly, sense. looking at the numbers, it seems like it could be even higher. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, absolutely crazy. Chris Dickerson, your leader in Circle One in regulation on the season at forty eight percent, and from there, Ricky Wysocki in second at forty seven percent, very close, and then it starts to drop off. So in third at forty five percent, we have Oyvind Yarns. I'm I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong. But Oyvind and Seppo Payu at where am I? Forty five percent. And then Calvin Heimberg, Albert Tom, Christian Quoxa, Lauren Schauerhofer, once again, all at forty four percent. And then Ezra Aderhold, Eagle McMahon, Jasper Haino, 
43. Yep. So it's really Ricky and Chris yeah. who have really separated themselves there separation. at 47 and 48%. And then you have a couple guys at 45 who have not played quite as many events. And then you start to see some more recognizable names at 44. So again, it's just another instance of Chris Dickerson being quite a cut above the rest in these Tita Green stats. Uh, and then everyone else is kind of in that A tier compared to Chris's S tier. Oh, for sure. So jumping over to Circle 2 in regulation, this shouldn't be a surprise. If you've been listening to the podcast, we talk about this a lot, the relationship between fairway hits and Circle 2 in regulation, particularly on par 3 holes. They are exactly the same. So it doesn't surprise me to see a lot of the names that we saw at the top of the leaderboard on fairway hits also rising to the top again in Circle 2 in regulation. Jesse, give us that list. Robin Villman is first at 74%, and he is the only guy at 74%. Now, like I said, he was tied for third or fourth, I believe, in fairways. And so it's not really a surprise that he is at the top in Circle 2 in regulation. But also worth noting is his Circle 1 in regulation is only 36% which is lower than the next five guys on the list in Circle 2 in regulation. So an interesting disparity there between Circle 2 and Circle 1. Again, that's the kind of thing that can happen when you've only played 108 holes. Sure. Once your hole total starts racking up, uh, the world kind of starts to correct itself. Yeah. Start finding your average. So Robin Villman at the top, 74%. At 73%, Otto Leitinen. 73. Oyvind Yarns, Lauren Schauerhofer, Seppo Payu, Chris Dickerson, Otto Makinen, all at 72%. And then Christian Quoksa, Daniel Davidson at 71%. So not as many recognizable names here for most people at home. I think for the most part, people are going to recognize Seppo and Chris Dickerson at 72 Once we expand a little bit outside the top 10, you get guys like Eagle McMahon, 70%, Calvin Heimberg, 68%, Ezra Robinson, 68%, and Nico LaCastro, Albert Tom, Ricky Wysocki, all at 67 So it does start to drop off. Once you go above that 70% threshold, not a lot of guys are able to get there. Chris Dickerson, again, pulling ahead at 72%. Yeah, and that's, you know, given his circle one in regulation percentage, that's not that surprising to see to see Chris rise to the top of that. Um, it's interesting, though, that, that Ricky is pretty far down. He's at 67%, you know, there's probably 30 guys or so until, until Ricky. Um, and it's interesting that he was so high up in, in circle one, but not in circle two. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. I did not catch that right away, so... Props to picking up on that. Well, that's why I'm here. That's right. That's right. So, and I have to mention, I have to mention, Joey, you are getting married pretty soon. Congratulations. I am. Thank you. Uh, my guess is you will not be changing your name, however. And, you know, I don't know if your fiance is either. But if you could be changing your name, I think this guy might have the name you'd be changing it to. I, I got to Sneaking agree. into the top 10, we have Joseph Berg 
Seventy percent. I hope he throws one. I doubt he's it. He's got to, right? Ugh. Joseph fr- Berg. Uh, he's from Sweden. Um, oh my gosh, he's Castaplast sponsored. Oh yes. So, do you think he had a different surname previous to joining Castaplast? Ah, uh, you know, there's not many discs I'd change my name for, and, and that might be one of them. Yeah, I'm gonna put the over under on. Uh, the odds that he has changed his surname since his sponsorship, I'm going to put the over-under at 10%. Okay. So, uh, folks at home, if you're listening, let us know what you think. <laughs> Send in your bets. Obviously, nothing's on the line, but yeah. we'd like to know. We'd like That's to know. That's funny. Or maybe they just named the Berg after him. That's maybe, also uh, possible. That is also yeah, possible. I'm going to say it's unlikely. Berg does have a meaning in Swedish. It means mountain. So, uh... It's not like they're just naming a, you know, Prodigy is not naming a disc the Burr. Right. Um, you know, Discmania doesn't have the Lazat. No. Um, we'll see. We'll see. All right. Moving on here. Scramble percentage. Yeah. So this one's interesting because we always talk about how scramble percentage just means nothing. It is, it really takes a lot of extra effort to dissect somebody's scramble percentage and how good they are and then you can talk about how scramble percentage is even defined and does it make sense and there's just a lot of questions but this is a little bit different we have again larger sample sizes and the data here is really really interesting so let's just dive in here at the top of the leaderboard 76 percent scramble rate we have a tie paul omen and Micah Groth, both at 76%. And then the next two guys, Jesse Niemann and Henrik Hagman, 72% and 69%. So Big the drop-off drop here is huge. And it keeps going. It does keep going. So, oh, yeah. there. Oh, I was looking at the wrong stat. So, like I said, I left off at Henrik Hagman, fourth at 69%. And then you have 68, 67, 66, 66, and then a few at 65. And included in that list, Taro Yatanen, Itu Tominen, Andrew Fish, Sam Hananen, and Yuho Paikanen. Let's go with that. Uh, and then a couple other notable names here. Gannon Burr, 65%, and the scramble man himself, Ricky Waisaki also at 65%. Yeah. So this is interesting because Micah Groth is at the top of this list. Now, Micah Groth, very young guy. I think he's like 16 to 17, somewhere in that range. Yeah, I think he was 16. He won in Worlds last year, right? I believe so, yes. Yeah, I think he was 16 then, so probably about 17. Yes, so I was thinking he had played in a few more events this year than he has. He's played in three events. He played in Texas States, the Champions Cup, and Jonesboro, but he did not finish Jonesboro. So he is slightly over that 108-hole threshold. Yeah, two and a half tournaments or so. Yeah, so I thought he had played a few more holes than that, which is why I was really going to say it's interesting that he's at the top in scramble um paul omen is a name i've seen before not just this season but going back to last season and perhaps before then as well 
going to take a quick look at how many tournaments he's played. Yeah, but just three. It is, yeah, so and these guys Andrew are Fish. really pulling ahead. Yeah. But the first guy I noticed that has, you know, more than, I'll say, seven events, but, you know, you could even call it ten, is, is Ganon is the first name that jumps out at me. Yep, and he's at 65%, yeah, as well and, as Ricky, who's at 65 yeah. So that's interesting. That that seems like a very reasonable threshold to look at your elite guys. It's probably more f- fair to call it like 62 or 63 to include a few more names yeah. in there, but 65, call it 66%, a nice two-thirds number. Yeah. That is a really impressive spot to be looking at it. And to be honest, I would have guessed that it would be higher just sure, because yeah. so many of these guys can putt and your putting really does have a huge influence on how well you scramble because your scramble is one of those few stats that's actually related to your final score on the hole. You have to right. get par or better. And so your putting very oftentimes is what's going to save you uh, if your approach doesn't really get the job done, right? Right. So, you know, seeing Ricky and Gannon at the top makes perfect sense because these guys are elite putters and uh andrew fish not so bad himself at 86 percent yeah the great season. great so it really does back it up that you've got to be a great putter to be a great scrambler two yeah. other guys that are very high on this list eagle mcmahon andrew marweed both amazing putters 89 yes. percent, and they're scrambling at 63 percent. so if the number was higher for scramble percentage, it would probably suggest that the approach game does not have a lot of separation yeah, in the field. It's mostly putting, yeah. But I think some of these greens are are probably pretty difficult to access uh, on the Pro Tour to to have that much separation between scramble percentage and putting percentage. Right. Obviously, the numbers we were mentioning earlier were just C1X putting, and that's not the whole story. Um, yeah yeah so very interesting uh makes total sense that a lot of the really good putters are very high on the scrambling as well okay speaking of putting over to it so this that's right i i love talking about who's at the top of c1x putting i i think that's a really fun one to talk about definitely some names we'd recognize definitely some some new guys that deserve some recognition here so at the top, a name that should be relatively fresh in everybody's mind um, after Portland Open is Isaac Robinson, um, sitting at 90% C1X. He's the only guy that's over the 90% threshold right now, which is really 90% on the year is like elite of the elite. Um, huge, huge, huge achievement to be there. Um and then I'm going to run down the list. We've got six names at 89%. Andrew Marweed, no surprises there. Justin Anderson, Sias Elmore, Zachary Christ, Eagle McMahon, and I'm sorry, it was just five, not six. Paul yep. McBeth sitting at 88. And then a bunch of guys at 87. You've got Gannon Burr, Thomas Tomaselli, Alan Wagner, Josh Anthon, Ryan Chesla, 
and James Proctor all at 87%. So really tight towards the top, as we expect. A couple of names that we pretty typically see towards the top. You know, you got Andrew Marweed, Eagle McMahon, Gannon Burr, no surprise. Macbeth is usually up in that mix, too. Um, notably, Alan Wagner is a guy yeah. who has led a couple tournaments this year, I think, in shots gained C1X. So okay. no surprises there. Yeah, we've heard that name. Um, I'm I'm looking for uh, for Coriolis. Yeah, he's down in that eighty four to eighty three percent. I think. Yeah, eighty four. That surprises me. Yeah, so he's he's very far down there. There are a lot of names that are ahead of him. Thomas Gilbert, Even Kevin Kyle Jones, Klein, John eighty four. That's further down than I'd think. Yeah, Linus Carlson, 85. I mean, that's probably still better than average, but yeah, probably not quite where we expected him. Adam Hammes, 86. So there are certainly some guys. Ricky Wysocki, 86. 86. Yeah. You know, Which, he's not... I mean, we're still talking about elite putting. 85% is still excellent. but Yeah, absolutely. To be up in the, you know, 87s is about what we sort of start to expect from these elite putting guys yeah for sure one of the interesting things that i notice here is andrew marweed so we've talked a little bit this year about the struggles that he's been having not really finishing as high as we're used to from last year but he's still right at the top of c1x putting at 89 percent. and we always knew that that was that and the forehand game yeah were the two things that really define his game and he's struggling in overall tournament placement this year but he is not struggling on the green no it's not so it's not shaking his to, putting yeah yeah it starts to bring up a lot of questions as to what might be falling in his game and based on where he is in circle one putting the answer is probably most everything else but it's certainly yeah. not the putting you can see it in his in his C1 and C2 in regulation stats, right? He, he falls behind, even just comparing him to Isaac, um, who's having a pretty good season. Um, but, you know, I don't want to claim Isaac is, you know, one of the elite, elite guys, but Isaac is ahead of Andrew Marweed, 38 to 30% in C1R and 60 to 53% C2R. And, you know, if they're putting about the same, that's that's a massive amount more opportunities that Isaac is giving himself than Andrew is. Um, yeah, and their, for sure. Their circle two putting isn't that different either, you know, and that's enough that Isaac's coming away at 41% birdie as opposed to Andrew's 34%, you know, and that's, that's enough to push you down the leaderboard quite a bit. Another couple notable names here near the top. We have James Proctor, 87%. Ricky Wysocki, like we said, 86 Chris Clemens and Matt Oram also at 86, along with Colton Montgomery. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's jump ahead to Circle 2. Yes, this one isn't close. No, it's not. So, top of the leaderboard, Cameron Messerschmidt, 46%. Yep. Not close. Second, Corey Ellis at 38%. So absolutely huge difference here. Cameron Messerschmidt, uh, a guy that a lot of people recognize as a really great putter. I'm kind of surprised this year to see that he has only played that bare minimum number of holes to qualify. Right. And 
actually his most recent event was Beaver State Fling. So he, that is a very recent holes 55 through 108 to even qualify. Right. So on the season, 26 circle two attempts. He's made 12. That's yeah. where that 46 comes from. So not a whole lot of attempts. Yeah, you're talking about 4% still. on each of those. Um, but still, a, an excellent performance, Circle 2, on on either of those tournaments. Yep, and then we start to see the second tier at 38%. Uh, tied for second, Corey Ellis and Josh Anthon. Josh Anthon, another guy who has not played a ton of tournaments. Corey Ellis certainly has played far more, and he's still able to hold on to that 38%. And then after that, we jump down to 33%, where, guess who? Andrew Marweed, hanging yep. out at 33%, along with Matt Oram, another guy we mentioned before, Eagle McMahon, Drew Gibson, and Paul Oman, all at 33%. Yep, and a couple guys at 32. You got Gannon Burr, Alexander Krauss, and Thomas Gilbert. So I've got to say, I feel like for the most part this one feels right where i'd expect it to be you know cameron's a bit of a wild card there maybe josh anthon you know neither of them have played that many tournaments but Corey Ellis, andrew marweed matteo eagle definitely gannon i i think of thomas gilbert as a pretty strong circle two putter i don't know that i would have put drew in top 10 but he's definitely an excellent circle two putter um you know, Hamas is right outside that top 10 there. He's at 31%. Barsby, Brody Smith, Paul McBeth. So a lot of these names, you know, if you asked me to write up a top 10, you know, I bet six or seven of them would have been on my, my top 10 without looking. Yeah, totally agree. And it makes a lot of sense that a lot of these guys were also in the top list in C1X putting. Yeah, of course. Which is interesting because... When we talked about the Las Vegas Challenge, we noticed that there was a lot of discrepancy between the people who were gaining strokes on the field in Circle 1 and the folks who were gaining strokes on the field in Circle 2 in the sense that a lot of the guys who were top 10 at that event in strokes gained C1X were below average. They were losing strokes to the field in C2 and vice versa. A lot of the guys who were gaining strokes in Circle 2 were losing strokes in C1X. And we said, we're going to have to pay attention and see if that's a trend that continues or if those lists start to grow more similar and more similar. Right. And I think we're saying that they're getting much more similar. Yeah, they are. So as far as throw in and OB rate, we don't really talk about those stats a lot. So I think we can probably just manage, you know, a top, top three or here, um, just to give credit where credit is due, unless you have something more than that. No, not at all. Okay, so in throw-ins, we've got David Konoplev, Christopher Keseloff, and Josh Anthon, um, all hovering right around 3% on the throw-in rate. And just a reminder, a throw-in is anything that makes it in outside of circle two, so that's 67 feet or 20 meters. And the lowest OB rates, sitting at 2.6%, you've got Michael Johansson, and then rising quickly after that, Justin Freeman, Thunderschultz, Micah Groth. Um, and that, again, is OB rate. Yeah, I like seeing Micah Groth on this list as one of yeah. those young guys who is able yeah. to keep it clean. 
it's cool to see him, you know, having stats that are setting him apart. You know, his name is being mentioned, um, and even just in playing a few tournaments. So hopefully he, he gets on tour full time within these next couple of years. And, you know, I like seeing those, those young gun guys come out and shred. Let's jump ahead to the FPO. So we'll go in the same order. We are starting out in fairway hits, but this time we'll keep it to the top five. Just since the field's a little bit smaller. So leading in fairway hits in the women, the threshold is the same. It's 108 holes. In first place, Hannah Manis, 76%, followed by Lindsay Fish at 75, Paige Pierce, 74, Evelina Salonen, and Holland Handley, both at 73. Yeah. So it's pretty close at the top. Yeah, very tight. And a lot in that 72 to 71. And I'm not going to go down, but everybody here could probably name the next six players. It's it's everybody you'd yep. expect on those strong T to green FPO players in fairway hits. Um, but not not as many surprises here as, as we saw over on the MPO side. Um, and definitely a lot tighter towards the top. Yeah, for sure. I think the big surprise for me is that anybody is ahead of Evelina Salonen. Yes, And I say sure. that not not just because she's obviously an elite tee to green player, but because she also hasn't played that many events. And so anyone that's going to have a higher fairway hit percentage than her is someone who has possibly played more events than her, more right. holes. Yeah, Lindsay Fish so has you're played keeping... four full tournaments. Right. And so you're, you know... You're keeping an Evelina Salon in pace for more holes than Evelina Salon. And it is yeah, really hard something that's hard to wrap your head around. But yeah. Paige Pierce being really the notable one to me who has played a ton of events and is outdoing Evelina Salonen by 1% in the fairways. So yeah. that's very impressive. Not easy to do. And, and Holland Handley is matching. Yeah. At 73%. And, and Holland's played... Holland's played the pretty much the full tour so far. Yeah. She's she's got eight tournaments under her belt. So yeah, so that is a huge testament to her game. Yeah, absolutely, sure. very very strong tee to green and and not a bad putter. Um, definitely not. We'll we'll get there um, when we get to the Circle One X putting conversation. Jumping over to our next tee to green stat is parked, and <laughs> no surprises here. Number one, Evelina Salonen. Number two, Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar. Oh, sorry. Yes, I said it correctly. So Evelina is at 16% jumping down to 14 with Paige. 13 for Kristen, 12% Katrina Allen, and Julie Mowens. So Julie has played the minimum number of holes, but still cool to be competing with some big names up there on the park percentage. Yeah, can't say I'm surprised by any of these. You have Evelina Salonen, and then you have numbers one, two, and three in the world, I think, unless Valerie Mandahano has cracked that top three, which I'm checking right now. I would not be surprised at all if she cracked that top three. In the point standings? In the world rankings. Okay. And she is indeed currently ranked number three. Yeah, and, you know, in all these fairway stats, you know, the next couple names are the ones you we all know and recognize as the elite tee to green FPL players, right? Maria Oliva, Jen Allen, Holland Hanley, Natalie Ryan, Ella Hansen. Yep, absolutely no, no surprises. surprises. 
here's quite a stat in oh, the world yeah. of Evelina Salen. And once again, circle one in regulation. So keep in mind, on the men's side, we had Chris Dickerson at 48%. Leading in the women's field, we have Evelina Salonen at 44%. Very similar. However, what's really shocking is once you look at who's below her in second is Kristen Tatar, who is only at 40%. Huge jump. And she's the only player who's above or at 40 So there's a huge jump there, like you said. Say it, say it like this. Evelina is getting circle one in regulation 10% more than Kristen Tatar. Right. And Kristen's in second. Yeah. So yeah, very, very impressive feat by Evelina Salon and, and something that will be a hard pace to maintain. So we will check back in later and see if she's still around that same number. Oh yeah. Rounding out the top five. I definitely want to do this Natalie at the end of the season. Yeah. Sorry. Say that again. I definitely want to do this again at the end of the season. Oh, for sure. Uh, I'm sure that'll be the first thing we do when the season's over. Absolutely. Go on. Yep. Rounding out the top five, we have in third, Natalie Ryan at 39%, Paige Pierce, 38 and Katrina Allen, 37 Yep. No surprises. No surprises. And Holland Hanley, again, you know, right there just outside that top five. Yep. Right there at number six at 36%. Circle two in regulation again. Evelina Salonen sitting at the top. 63% edging out Paige and Kristen at 62 and 61. And then we start to drop off. We've got Katrina and Natalie at 59 and 58. And guess who? Holland Hanley sitting in sixth place at 57. Circle it's two interesting in to me that the women's leaderboard, there is very consistently that yeah. 1% separation moving down the list. Yeah. And, and it's not really it's that smoother. case where you get that one person. It's smoother, exactly. And and I feel like in the MPO, in definitely fairway hits in parked, but even in circle one and circle two, you had like, you know, a couple guys that just didn't play that many, many tournaments and kind of floated to the top almost by chance. And we're not seeing that in the FPO. And, no, it's and a I lot wonder of recognizable that, names. I wonder if that says something about, you know, the separation in the field that, you know, these elite FPO players are so far beyond the rest of the field. Yeah, just in the all-around game. Right, right, exactly. And or or maybe it just says something about, you know, the if the MPO is a much larger field size, you know, it, I guess there's a higher chance that you know, somebody in two tournaments is going to shoot pretty well in that particular stat, you know? Yeah, it is interesting either way. So speaking about interesting, this Mm -hmm. I think is single-handedly the most impressive thing that I've seen. And to mention it, we have to dive a little bit outside the top five. So we are jumping to scramble percentage here. First and foremost, in first place in scramble percentage, Owen Scoggins at 56%. Yes. Very cool because it's not even that close. Owen Scoggins is at 56%, and in second is Valerie Bondahano at 53%. So there's a 3% buffer there for Owen yeah. Scoggins. And to jump down to 10 at Page, you've got 44%. So a huge drop-off in that top 10. Yeah, Absolutely. 
so rounding out the list here, Owen Scoggins, 56, Valerie Mondahano at 53. In third, tied for third, is Anakin Steen and Katrina Allen at 51. And then tied for fifth, Lisa Fakus and Evelina Salonen. This, so this uh, is one of the most mind-blowing things I have such ever an outlier. seen. Such an outlier. Yeah. So we saw, we were just talking, we spent like 10 minutes talking on the MPO side of things, how the guys who are at the top in scramble percentage were the guys who were near the top in C1X putting. And it's true in the FPO as well, for sure. Yeah. Lisa Fakus is someone who's one of the most elite putters, uh, especially C1X in the Owen FPO Scoggins, field. Missy Gannon. Owen Scoggins, Valerie, Valerie Mondahano, Katrina Allen are all elite putters. And then Evelina Salonen is somehow sneaking into this top five. So of these six women, Owen Scoggins, Valerie Mondahano, Anakin Steen, Katrina Allen, Lisa Fakus, Evelina Salonen. In that order, their C1X puttings percentages are 83, 76, 77, 68, 76, and 41. <laughs> Did something stick out there? There is a huge difference. 41% for Evelina Salonen, which, by the way, is the worst by a mile yes. of the FPO field. So The second the worst, worst is 48 <laughs> Yes, and Evelina's at 41. So almost like 15 to 20% worse than anybody else. And it has to be her approach game, right? Basically, basically what this is saying is she is, when she has to scramble, Evelina Salonen, when she has to scramble, she is parking it. She has, she has to be, to be parking it to be. a huge amount of a uh, very high percentage of the time. Yeah. It's the only way. Or just somehow her putting all is of, better. All of yeah. the C1X putts that she makes are after scrambles, but I can't imagine she's scrambling very often. That's no, if Because by sort... the way, she's also fifth in OB rate. So that suggests that she doesn't scramble all that often. And her fairway hits and her reg- circle two and regulation stats are very high. So it's not like she's getting off the fairway that often. Right. You know? So this is seriously wild. Like, if you is... sort by scramble percentage, like you look at C1X and Evelina jumps out immediately. Yeah, it's not close. No. And, you know, we mentioned those top five and how they're all great c1x putters but the trend continues if you go outside the top five you have missy gannon Kristen tatar Paige pierce sarah hokum i mean they're all in the top 12 or so and they're all great c1x putters and the huge outlier is evelina salonen by a significant margin yeah it is really really wild to see that i i wish we had like footage of all of her scrambling attempts so that we can see what she's doing. Obviously, I mean, we can go back through her scorecards and like see how many scramble attempts are park jobs, but I don't know. That'll take some work. We, we did not do our homework on that. We missed it, whatever. Um, I'm certainly going to dig into it after this 
and oh, find sure. out out of curiosity. But yeah, just yeah. absolutely unbelievable. Makes no sense to me that she's on this list for scramble percentage, but here we are. So over in circle two, very excited to talk about Owen Scoggins being at the top. So I'm going to go bottom up on this one. So in fifth place, tied at 19% circle two putting, Holland Hanley and Ali Smith, 21% in tied for third, you've got Heather Young and Katrina Allen in second at 23%, Julie Mowens, and a massive leap to first place, 28%, Owens Goggins. Yeah, if you want to talk about someone definitively being the best at what they do, Owens Goggins is definitively the best circle two putter in the FPO right now. By a huge separation in both circle one and circle two. About a month ago, we had posted a graphic on our Instagram where own, you know, we, we plotted circle one X on the X axis and circle two putting on the Y axis for the FPO field. And it was clear that own was, was far away from the rest of the field in both of those stats. So since then own has held her, her 28% circle two. That's, that's what she had at that point a month ago. And she's knocked up her circle one X putting from 82 to 83 so she's held it or gotten better in both of those stats still maintaining the separation i don't know how she does it but congrats to own for still maintaining first by a mile in both of the putting stats so joey i hate to interrupt you so i started digging into the evelina salonen thing a little bit oh of course so she's played in like seven tournaments so i have I have not had the time to dig through all of her rounds in all of those seven tournaments and find all of her scramble attempts that are successful okay. and seeing where she made the putt from. Okay. But I did look at Waco. And right. so at Waco, she had two successful scrambles in each round. And every single one of those successful scrambles, she made the putt from the bullseye she parked it yes therefore not relying on her circle one x putting yes maybe she's just parking it on those approach shots that's gotta be it right yeah it has to be it and oh god yeah yeah i I don't even know i it it doesn't compute really like i just i can't wrap my head around it but just looking at Waco, like she is doing exactly what we thought, and it's really wild. And honestly, terrifying to think about. I'm going to say when she figures it out, not if she figures it out. I'm confident she will be at least an average Circle One X putter at some point. And yeah, might not be this season. No, but, but she has been in the past, and I think she will be again. Yep. And it's going to be terrifying yep. for everybody else. So, so jumping backwards here to circle one putting, we did skip over that. So again, I will go bottom up here. So in a three-way tie for fifth at 76% C1X putting, we have both Mondahano sisters, Valerie Mondahano and Alexis Mondahano at 76%, as well as Lisa Fakus at 76%. Yep. In a two-way tie for third, Heather Young, and Anakin Steen at 77%. 
and then in second and first at 79% and 83%, we have Sarah Gilpin in second, Owen Scoggins in first. It's it's so mind-blowing how far away she is from everybody else. Yeah, it's not close. I don't get it. Yep. So for anyone who watches the FPO on a week-to-week basis, you it is important to realize what you're watching, I think, because as the field and as the sport continues to grow, I think the FPO field is going to start looking a lot more like the MPO field where this separation is not as extreme. And I don't know that we, I mean, we might never see someone who has this dominant on the green compared to the rest of the field. No, I don't, I don't think so. It's only going to get closer and closer. Yeah, absolutely. So take it in while you can, because this level of dominance, it could be a a generational thing, seriously. Yeah, and, you know, not to say that Owen is is not great tee to green, but she's just average, you know, in in her Circle 1 and Circle 2 regulation stats. Um, Her scramble's great, but that mostly relies on her putting. But, you know, she's not in, in the top 10 in these other fairway stats right and for her to be you know obviously she won the match play tournament but own has not been outside the top 10 since lvc which was the first tournament of the year that's the only tournament that she's her worst finish since lvc is seventh and and yeah and and lvc she was 18th yeah that's not bad either bounced back substantially and for that to essentially completely rely on her putting, you know, again, her, her fairway stats are not below average, but I mean, she's just gaining so many strokes in the putting green. Pretty much every tournament she's first in shots gained circle two. Yeah. Her or Katrina Allen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, I apologize if anyone was hearing some very low guttural meowing from my cat. Uh, (laughs) She does that from time to time, so I apologize. Uh, Let's jump ahead here and talk quickly about the DGPT standings. So we don't talk about standings a whole lot, and the point system, kind of complicated. We don't talk about that either. But I think where we have this little lull, if you will, before we pick it back up with the Preserve and then the U.S. Women's Championship, it's worth doing a little tour standings check-in to see when that uh, tour championship rolls around, what would our field look like as of right now? So let's start it off in the MPO field, and we'll work our way from top to bottom. So, in the first tier, if you will, these are the folks who would have a bye to the semifinals if the tournament started tomorrow. We have Calvin Heimberg in first at just a hair under 600 points. Ricky Wysocki in second at around 550 points. So, actually, a pretty notable spread there between first and second. And then finishing off the top eight here, we have Gannon Burr. Chris Dickerson, Paul McBeth, Joel Freeman, James Conrad, and Simon Lazat, as my cat eats my headphones. So tell me if those names surprise you at all, Joey. 
Do you want my my honest response? I would prefer your honest response, yes. No surprise at all. Not even maybe a bit. maybe the order at the top could be I would have put a little differently, but you know, keep in mind Rick hasn't played since OTB. You know, Calvin's played both Portland and Beaver State Fling. Um you know, Paul didn't play LVC. Joel didn't play LVC. Simon didn't play anything between Waco and Champions <laughs> Cup. So yep. it's not a surprise that even though those guys have had, you know, more than one win or, or one win that they've fallen back a little bit and, and Calvin's risen to the top. But we're not talking about a huge spread, you know. And the thing to remember is that kind of comes out in the wash towards the end of the season because you're only allowed to use your three best finishes at the silver series and your eight best finishes at the elite series. So those will, the tournaments you don't play will drop out. I think most of these guys are planning to play at least eight elite series events and hopefully three silver series. Um, Yeah, for sure. So we won't have that asterisk on this anymore, but I think, I think the shout out here has to go to Gannon. Um, It, for him to be sitting in third by a good amount. I mean, we're talking about third at 540 points. Simon's at 364. Yeah. You know, a huge Simon, Simon could win two elite series events and Gannon could not play them. And Simon would just, just barely edge out Gannon. Yeah. And that's if those two events are elite series events. Right. Right. So pretty, pretty big drop off there. But, you know, this is your your names that you should recognize. Not any surprises here. Joel and, and James Conrad have both been really consistent players that we see on the leaderboard. Neither of them have taken down a big win yet. Um, they've, they've both had second as their highest finish, and both of those came in Silver Series. Yeah, and there are some really fascinating things in this top eight. So the first thing I have to note uh, to mention... Going into the Champions Cup, Simon Lazat had one point. <laughs> he had one point. He did not play in five of the six events leading up to Champions Cup. And in the one that he did play was Waco. He finished tied for 60th and got a single point. Since Champions Cup, I should say including and since Champions Cup, he has accumulated 363 points in, in five, events. five events yeah crazy he's he's gone on a heater here's one also chris dickerson so chris dickerson obviously one of the best players in the world has three wins this year so it's not horribly surprising it's certainly not surprising to see him in the top eight uh knowing that he has won three events this year You'd think maybe he could have cracked the top three. But two of those wins that he has were Silver Series, which only gained him 25 points. And in addition to that, he did not play Open at Tallahassee. He did not play Masters Cup, OTB Open, Portland Open, or the Beaver State Fling. And he is still in fourth place. Yeah, the... The Champions Cup win, you know, that counts 1.5 times in Elite Series event. That helps a ton. And then 
you know, just finishing top 10 at Jonesboro, DDO, and, and Waco, Texas States, that, that matters. You know, it adds up. Yeah, it is funny counts. that he finished tied for eighth at DDO and got more points in that event than his two Silver Series wins combined. Yep. <laughs> yep. All right, jumping to the next tier. These are the folks who have a bye to the quarterfinals. These are seeds 9 through 16. We have, in that order, Kevin Jones, Aaron Gossage, Drew Gibson, Corey Ellis, Ezra Aderhold, Chris Clemens, Mason Ford, and Nico LaCastro. Yeah, that's... I, I mean, that checks out in my head. This is all names that you hear making that 10 to 10 to 20 range, you know, at a lot of these tournaments or maybe the guys that have just cracked the top 10, you know, two or three times and that's enough for them to accumulate some of these mid-level point totals, but the drop off here is not as steep. So these are all guys that could steal those 6 7 8 spots, you know, from guys like Simon or James if those guys start to to fall off. Yeah, so all of these guys from 9 to 16, they're all separated by 50 points. And Kevin Jones and Simon Lazat, the jump from 8 to 9 is 40 points, 37? Yeah, just about. So basically all these guys, 9 through 16, are about as far away as the 8 and 9 seeds, Simon Lazat and Kevin Jones. Yeah, One Um, one big win could easily jump them up yeah no question and there are some surprises to me in this 9 to 16 field so kevin jones at the beginning of the season i would not have been surprised that he's sitting here at number nine but i think actually yeah, he's, he's had a bit a slow a slow start for the most part yeah we haven't really been seeing him on a lot of lead cards or anything like that so it is cool that he's still here in ninth place yeah, it just shows that, you know, even if he's not being that, you know, top 10 Kevin Jones guy that we have sort of grown to expect in the last couple of years, consistently finishing in top 20 is is almost enough at this point. I mean, it, it is enough at this point for you to be, you know, a, a, a top 15 guy. Yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's consistent. <laughs> right. So rounding out, the field here of the folks who are qualified 17 seed through the 30th seed. We have Kyle Klein, Matt Orm, Emerson Keith. That one surprises me actually. Garrett Gerthy, Thomas Gilbert, Luke Humphreys. That one would have surprised me at the beginning of the season. Not as much now. Adam Hammes, Albert Tom, Alden Harris, Chandler Fry, Anthony Barella, Isaac Robinson, Casey White, Gavin Babcock. So for the sake of time, I'll just say there are a lot of guys in that field who surprise me. Alden Harris, even Anthony Barella, Casey White, Luke Humphreys. So very cool to see some fresh faces in the mix here. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's particularly impressive when you when you start to look at some of these guys that didn't make the cut. So the way this works is that 31 through 36 will play for the last two spots. There's a a playoff. I don't think they've officially announced the the structure of that yet. Um, 
and then you know 37 and on just just doesn't qualify but there's there's a lot of names here of guys that you know i may have guessed would be in that 17 to 30 range you know austin hannum even linus carlson we've seen a ton um yeah that's a surprising one yeah you know big germ is a guy who you know tends to have a couple top tens a year um we see him a lot um kale laviska has been has had some good finishes but i i think he just hasn't played as many tournaments in in the you know i'll say quarter two of the tournament of the the season um but d- definitely some names there that I wouldn't have been surprised if they ended up in the 17 to 30 range. But again, we're only talking about, you know, 70 to 100 points here is is all it takes for you to, to have a big jump. So I expect to see a lot of movement in, in this range as the year progresses. You know, if, if one of these guys comes away with a, a top five or a podium finish that's easily enough to rocket them to the top. I mean, look at Luke Humphreys, you know, in 22nd place. Pretty much all of his points are from LVC and Waco. Yep. You know, and at this point in the season, that's that's all it takes. And by the end of the season, you know, he's he's got to pull together at least another one of those if if he wants to hold on to his spot. Yeah, I expect there will be a lot of shakeup as we get to the end of the year. Yeah, for sure. Definitely in that that 17 to 30 range. I think, you know, I, I expect the top eight could change. It will absolutely change order, but I, I think you've got some guys that even if they stop now, they've got enough points to, to stay qualified. Yeah, no kidding. All right, let's jump to the FPO here. The numbers are a little different here. Only four players have a bye to the semifinals compared to the top eight in the MPO. And that top four right now for the FPO, number one, Katrina Allen, followed by Paige Pierce, Kristen Tatar, Valerie Mondahano. And like we said, absolutely no surprises. Not even a little bit. I may have guessed a slightly different order. You know, I might have swapped any of those top three. Um, but it makes sense looking at their finishes and the number of events that they've played. So no surprises at all. Those are your elite of the elite right now. Yep. Worth noting that between open at Belton, music city, open at Tallahassee and masters cup, which are all silver series. Yep. Let's see. So open at Belton, three of those top four women played that event and they all podiumed (laughs) music city and Tallahassee between these four women, only one of them played one of those events. So nobody played music city and only Valerie Mondahano played open at Tallahassee. And then masters cup, another silver series, Katrina Allen was the only one of those women who played that. So you have all these women who are not playing these silver series events and they are still, I mean, they don't need those points. They're proving that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very dominant near the top. I mean, there's a hundred point drop off between Katrina and Valerie, which is huge in and of itself. And, you know, 
Katrina and Paige are absolutely rock solid at the top. There's really no reason to doubt Kristen or Valerie. Again, even if they stopped now, they would they would almost certainly qualify. Um, you know, I, just looking at Valerie, she's already played six of her eight Elite Series events. So even if she stopped here, that's extremely impressive considering that almost all of them are podium finishes yeah there are a lot of podium finishes in that top four group and uh, there's more a than i care here. to count i'm gonna name off tournaments lvc open at belton and beaver state fling all of the players in this group before that played them were on the podium and then texas states they went one Tied for second, tied for second, and fourth. And then in Portland, first, third, and fourth. And Waco was first, second, third, and sixth. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The next tier here are the folks who are qualified. This is seeds 5 through 14. We have, in that order, Missy Gannon. That one actually surprises me a little bit. She's played pretty well. I didn't realize she was playing that well. Six, Kat Merch, and then Owen Scoggins, Ella Hansen, Sarah Hokum, Alexis Mondahano, Maria Oliva, Jennifer Allen, Emily Beach, Natalie Ryan. That feels... I think the biggest surprise here for me is that Natalie isn't a little bit higher. Yeah, I I would have said the same thing, and I I wanna say that I feel surprised that Emily Beach is that high, but maybe I'm just not giving her enough credit because I'm I'm looking at her finishes, and, I mean, obviously she deserves to be there. Third at DDO, you know, Yeah, that was the big one points. for her. Yeah. But I was thinking the same thing, honestly. I was a bit surprised by that as well. Yeah, but, you know, looking further down the list, there's not that many people that I would have thought would have jumped her. You know, maybe Holland Hanley or Lisa Fakus. Um are definitely some names that I feel like I've been seeing often enough. They're yeah, both in, totally in that in that play in range. Just just to name them off: Rebecca Cox, Kona Panis, Jessica Weiss, Holland Hanley, Lisa Fakus, and Vanessa Van Dyken are all in that that six playoff range. There, notably Haley King falling outside that range, but she hasn't really played that many tournaments this year. So hopefully she. Uh, plays strong through the second half and we see her qualify yeah i got to imagine she'll find her way in by the end of the season almost certainly yeah it it would be surprising if she didn't same thing with evelina salonen who's in 27th she really just hasn't played quite as many events yep and another name here holly finley at 26th that's a name i would have expected to see in the mix as well yeah she's had some good finishes but i i think her best finishes have definitely been in the Silver Series. She did pretty well at Waco, but as far as Elite Series events, I think that's the only one that she cracked the top 10. Yeah, so that's where we're at. Yeah. So we are, what, somewhere between a third and halfway through the season or so? Yeah, I think just about halfway or so after after the West Coast swing finishes up. Yeah, so I think looking ahead, it looks like there are going to be a few more weeks where we can do these types of check-ins um, yep. where we don't really have any other major events going on. 
we can kind of check in on the standings, on the stats, things like that. So hopefully we get to see where we stand, uh, not just at the end of the season, but we can do a few more check-ins along the way. Yeah, definitely at the end of the season, we will have a substantial one, probably even more than one episode where we, we talk about this sort of stuff. Yeah, so we have a little bit of a different plan as far as next week goes. So we're going to try a slightly different format where we're going to do our typical tournament recap stuff for the preserve, but that is going to be in a dedicated episode. And then Jesse and I have been working on some other stat stuff that we're going to talk about in a dedicated episode. So instead of having a long you know, hour to hour and a half episode, we're going to try to split it up into maybe two 30 minute episodes, you know, again, one focusing on the tournament recap and then another one focusing on some non-tournament stats discussion, separate stuff. Um, and we're going to try to break that up and, and see how people like that. So please feel free to reach out and give us the feedback on that, on how you like that. If that's easier to consume it that way, um, we want to hear it. Yeah, I hope it'll be received well because, honestly, we never think these episodes are going to be this long and then somehow we just can't shut up, Joey. Yeah, every single time we're like, dink and dunk, 40-minute episode, in and out. and Never happens. And never happens. And you know what? I'm not going to let you go right now either because I have a guess the stat for you. Oh, of course you do. Let's do it. Yep, guess the stat. All right, so we mentioned earlier Evelina Salonen dead last in c1x putting at 41.1 percent okay i would like you to guess what her c1x putting percentage is just for the events that she has played in the u.s oh i we were talking about this a couple weeks ago about doing this this out um could i ask how many events she's played like what's the split I think it's six U.S. events and one outside the U.S. Okay, I think we were talking about this because the one event she played outside the U.S. she did particularly well for herself in C1X. So I'm going to say maybe she putted like 75 or 80% in that tournament, which if you removed that that would probably she was at 41% so that would probably drop her to i'll say like 36% 35% so at the Hainala Open trying to pull it up here and of course it's showing me her DGPT events by default and not Hainala so at Hainala she putted 82%. Okay. And so when you remove that, her putting on the season goes from 41.1 to 33.9. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is dismal. It's not good. It's I, not good. I try very hard to be nice and neutral and positive. When, when we do these podcasts, but that's that's not very good. Yeah, so unfortunately not ending this week on a happy note, but I will say we got the preserve next week, and then after that we got the U.S. Women's Championship kind of sneaking up on yeah, us. Yeah, So that'll exciting. be a super fun one. Yeah, mid-season major. 
always a great tournament. Um, yeah, that that's one I'm very excited for. And to be honest, this this midseason stretch on through most of the rest of the year, but this these are some of my favorite tournaments. I I love Deglo, I love Idlewild. Yep. So, really, really excited about some of these tournaments upcoming. Yeah, it'll be a very, very exciting stretch. So that's all we got this week. As usual, all data cited on the podcast comes from UDisc Live or Statmando. And I believe on this particular episode, it all came from UDisc Live. So thanks to those folks, as always, for supplying the data we need to fuel the show. And that's all we got. So, Joe, did I miss anything? I don't think so. Well, in that case, until next time, folks, peace. See ya.